You know, Kevin, this is a one-of-a-kind free age of winter. I guess it's not over. Even before Carlos Correa ended up returning to the Minnesota Twins, following dalliances with the San Francisco Giants and the New York Mets. I mean, and, and I've often felt that there are more twists and turns in the average free agent negotiation than we ever know. You know, that it, it, it's, it often isn't until a player retires or is a couple of years into their contract that we hear them say, you know, Team X almost signed me that year, right? I mean, you know, think about Justin Verlander telling Jeff Passan last season that the Toronto Blue Jays were essentially his plan B before he re-signed with Houston. I don't even know if the Blue Jays knew how close they'd come to signing Justin Verlander. But I, I got to tell you, I don't know if I've seen anything like the road that led Correa back to the Twins on a six-year, $200 million deal. It could hit $270 million with vesting options. You know, first he was with the Giants, then the Mets. And it all seemed to come down to Kevin to what team was most comfortable with his medical based on an injury that happened in 2000, what, when he was 19 years old. It was bizarre. Yeah, well, again, it's just it's intriguing for me to see two big-time teams like the Giants and the Mets you mentioned be so close and then back out, and the Twins couldn't wait to sign him. Like, it, it was... You know the the decent amount of money at six two hundred. That's a that's a big time, a lot of money for the twins to to buy in. And you know, if you're a Twins fan, you got to be excited about that. It's yeah, I've never seen anything like that. Correa seems to think Boris, his agent, seems to tell everybody that his ankle's fine and and that's old news. And you know, with, I, I guess only time will tell. But it's just interesting to see where the this takes the Twinkies. What do the Twinkies do now, Jeff? That, that's the question because you know as well as anybody. Once you start making big moves and spending big time money, that puts pressure on your organization to be that much better. So it's just be intriguing to see where the Twinkies go now. Well, we're already hearing that, and we'll talk to uh, to Dad Levine, their their general manager. A senior vice president and general manager later on in the show in a few minutes actually we'll talk to him about this but we know that they're going to arbitration with Luis Arias we also know that there are rumors out there that they're one of the teams interested in Pablo Lopez of the Miami Marlins clearly a guy like Arias well I mean we've talked about it in this show a guy like Arias would fit just about any team uh but uh, yeah it, it's 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 pretty clear that uh that the Twins still have a couple of moves to make. But, you know, it was interesting because they added Joey Gallo, bounce-back candidate. They added Christian Vasquez. And it's just weird. It almost seems as if they kind of, they're kind of keeping the door open, right? They're kind of keeping the door open for Carlos Correa. I think you just, it just comes down to you really have to know the guy. And I, and I wanted to ask you this as a former player. Carlos Correa wasn't always represented by Scott Boris. Mm -hmm. He signed up with Scott Boris. And immediately people are saying, oh boy, Scott Boris mishandled this and dot, dot, dot. See, but my point of view is Scott Boris, I think, kind of saved the day for Carlos Correa, right? As a player, do you view it that way? Yeah, well, that's obvious why Correa went and got Scott Boris because he's the best agent on planet Earth and you're trying to get as much, much money as possible. That's your last deal. You want it to count, and you want to squeeze out every dollar you want. I don't blame the player. That's what you do. You're trying to take care of your family long term. You want your your sons and daughters' families to be taken care of down the road when you're long gone. So you can understand that. But 
I just think this gets back to the relationship between an agent and organizations have to be great, right? It's you keep the door open. You never slam the door. You never make one organization bad where they never want to talk to you again. You say, okay, I, I respect what we did with you, but he wants to go on because he can get a little bit more money here, but you still leave that, that door open. And, you know, I, I think you give both sides credit. I think you give Boris credit. I think you give the twins credit. Uh, you know, again, this gets back to the Giants and, and, and the Mets didn't want to spend that amount of money on a guy that you could basically flip a coin, which is what they're saying. Again, that's what their doctors are saying, and you can't argue with that. They wanted to move on. The Twins have a little bit more confidence. I, I just think, again, it gets back to you. You give uh, you give a little bit of credit to everybody, and you give credit to the, the people running the Twins organization because you got to sell this to ownership, right? If I'm, a, if I'm an owner of the Twins... And I'm looking at two behemoth organizations said no to a dude because of health issues. I got to be sold on that. I mean, six for 200 is a lot of money for the twins. So, again, I think you give credit to everybody, and hopefully it works out for both sides. Yeah, well, clearly the twins were okay with what their doctors saw. or Well, or maybe was it more a matter of them just knowing the player and his ability to manage the issue? After having him on their team in 2022, Thad Levine, a senior vice president and GM of the Twins, he joins us now on Blair and Barker. Thad, I'm just wondering how hard was it to operate this offseason knowing the door always seemed to be open, you know, a crack with Carlos Correa? Like, had you guys decided to move on and just couldn't find a fit with another free agent or was there an inkling this might happen? You know, knowing the details of his medical issues, probably better than any other team. Uh, you know, having spent a year with him, having spent the last offseason trying to recruit him, we, we really were very focused on Carlos and what was probably one of the best shortstop classes that we've seen in the last decade or so. Uh, our focus had always been on Carlos Correa. We did go into the offseason with clear needs at catcher and shortstop, so we were aspirational of not striking out, but we definitely kept our focus, our communication, and our convictions around Carlos. And I think one thing that our group did, and I'm really proud of the group for, for this, was we never gave up hope. And we, we also never stopped communicating with Scott Boris, his agent. Uh, Carlos was communicating pretty frequently with some of our players. It's just a testament to his character. What he does on the field, I think, is undeniably championship caliber. But what he did off the field for our franchise, and quite frankly, continued to do off the field for our franchise this offseason, even when he was a free agent, even when maybe he had uh, technically come to terms with two other clubs, was pretty significant. He, he was a guy who consistently stayed in touch with some of his teammates. He was pushing them. He was asking them what they were doing to get prepared for the upcoming season. And I think it was those types of touch points that gave us a, a breath of hope, even in what seemed like some of the bleaker days of this process, that he, this, we were as good a fit for him as we as he was for us. That I wonder how when it fell through with the Giants and the Mets with the ankle issue that you sell this to ownership, right? The way if I'm an owner like the Polad family and I'm looking and I see two big time organizations in the Giants and the Mets say, no, nah, that that ankle's not good enough. Now again, it's that year past and you saw him play and and all the doctors with the twins. I'm I'm assuming this is how you sell it, but there has to be a little bit of, of worry there, right? That you know the six year two hundred's a big number, and then you end up at he could he could get ten at two seventy. You got to sell this. Was there a, you know, a process there that you had to go to the family and go, hey, it's okay. You saw it. We can go forward and he's good enough. He'll be our short, short, tarp, short stop long term. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. You know, as, as much as we really uh, valued the relationship with Carlos and what he did on the field in our clubhouse and our community, we were going to have to be, we had to be smart about this. We had to take every piece of information into consideration. So as you referenced, uh, you know, you, it, it, it is very atypical this, that you see an injury play this prominent role in negotiation. That said, like, negotiations these shift all the time. I think part of our jobs are to understand whatever information we have today, we have to factor into decisions that we're making today, tomorrow, and the next day. And so there was new information. Sometimes that new information comes in additional suitors or a, a, a player he signs. He's similar to that player that now changes the market dynamic. In this instance, the market dynamic was changed, unfortunately, uh, by some information that was revealed during the physical process. And so I think we tried to treat it as best we could as nothing more than that, a shift in the dynamic in the market. We had to take it into consideration. It, it then pushed us into a position where we had to do an enhanced risk analysis and then share those thoughts with, with our owner, always against the backdrop that we were going to have the opportunity to have the same level of medical review that San Francisco conducted, that the New York Mets conducted. I think you guys referenced in the outset of this, so we did have a little bit of an advantage having worked with the player for a year. So we had a little bit more depth of, of knowledge of, of working with him and understanding what his physical capabilities were and what any ailments he may have. So I think that did put us in a unique position to feel an enhanced level of confidence that perhaps other teams didn't feel. Did you think at any point in you know in your heart of hearts did you did you really think he was coming back was there a time where you maybe you know emotionally kind of said okay this is a, it's a great idea but i we we really have to move on from this you know it, it, it's because you talk to organizations a lot and they'll say you can't get hamstrung right at some point you got to make a decision it, it depended on the quality of wine i was drinking at night as to how hopeful I still was in the past. Uh, so, I mean, hey, listen, I, I, I think uh, one thing that I bring to the table is a, a, I have a glass half, not half full, but full, full view of life. Uh, I always believe there's hope. I, I think there were enough breadcrumbs left along this process, whether it be from his agent, from the player himself, or just from some of the things we're reading uh, in, the, in the media that, gave us hope that there was still something to this, but your point's extremely valid because we needed to sign the shortstop come season 10. Uh, beginning in the offseason, we did acquire Kyle Farmer with a little bit of a thought in mind. He's been the, effectively the starting shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds the last two years. Then we had we had a safety net. We had a competent major league shortstop on our roster so that we were able to be a little bit more patient. I think but for that acquisition early in the offseason, we may have needed to jump because we couldn't go into spring training without a shortstop, it's such a key piece on what we hope to be an American League Central contending team. So that allowed us a little bit more patience through the process, but we, we absolutely had to stay in touch with the other free agent shortstops as this process was unfolding. Our, our focus never left Carlos Correa, but our communication and attention did expand beyond just pursuing him. Not to get specific when it comes to Carlos Correa here, but as we've gone on through free agency over the years, has insurance become more of a focal point in these deals? And I mean, and, and how does that work? Anyhow, again, in a general sense, is it the team and the agent split the cost? Is the contract covered for the full length of the contract? Is it, you know, covered for a couple of years? How would that work in general? It, it, it's an amazing cottage business that uh, operates 
outside of kind of the purview of the fan base. But yes, we on on contracts certainly of this magnitude, uh, teams are trying to secure insurance. You go through a third party broker. Uh, it is entirely the major league team's expense uh, to incur insurance. Uh, in, in deals of this magnitude, without getting into great detail, uh, you rarely get coverage for the entirety of the contract. You do it in, in chunks. And so you may be able to get insurance for the first two, three, four years, and then you re-up as you're going along. And typically the way these uh, policies work is, depending on the premium, uh, the first 60 days that a player may be injured is not covered. But once that 61st day comes, then you would get coverage to the tune of, once again, depending on how much of the, the premium is, 50, 75% of the, the salary that is being paid that player for as long as he is out for that, that same injury. So it's it's it doesn't cover everything. It does give you some compensation back in the event that there's a more significant injury. But the challenge for baseball executives is you're getting this insurance, while helpful, it's almost impossible to use those insurance proceeds to ever uh, go out on the market and sign or trade for a player of the magnitude of the one you lost. So your team has gotten a little bit worse. Maybe you, the financial hit isn't quite as great, but it's really tough to replace the talent on the field. Now, it's uh, everybody's favorite time of the year, arbitration season. And again, I don't want to get specific here. I know the Twins are going to hearing with Luis Arias. Um, but, you know, Thad, in a general sense, have, have teams changed their approach to arbitration over the years? You know, as, as players have become more comfortable with advanced analytics, I mean, you know, Carlos Correa, maybe more than any other player the past couple of years, is certainly comfortable discussing the evolution of stats. Um, is there less worry about damaging a relationship with the player now when you go into arbitration because the guy and his agent have a better, like, they do understand that it's just business? I think so. I, I You know, I think it's how you conduct yourself when you're not negotiating that, that forges these relationships. And if you have a solid foundation to the relationship, if you treat the players professionally, treat their agents professionally and collegially, you know, I think one of the misconceptions based upon, you know, how sometimes we're portrayed in movies is this notion that front office executives and agents are always at uh, loggerheads and always con contentious relationships. In practice, we're really both in it for the same thing. Like, I want to pay the players as much as possible because that means they've earned it, which is to say they've helped us win games on the baseball field and hopefully ultimately helped us win playoff games. So we're really sitting on the same side of the, of the ledger with the agent about 95% of the time, it's just those 5% where we sometimes have to roll up our sleeves and get deals done that sometimes get dramatized in, in movies and whatnot. So hmm. I think I think it's all about the relationship building. It's all about how you conduct yourself in the times in which you aren't in those heated moments. But I do agree with you. Like I think we, we're treating these a lot more professionally than we ever had. Both sides are dealing with very sophisticated information, so nobody gets blindsided through the process. It's very rare that you have a, just an abject, different view of players. Sometimes it's subtle enough that you need a third party to help you uh, reconcile it, and I think both sides understand that's just what it is, nothing more than that. Thad, something I think a lot of us have wondered, what supporting statistics are used in these arbitration hearings? I, I know that old-school stats are usable. I've been led to believe that stuff like the StatsCast analytics can't be used, war can be used, wind shares can be used, UZR can be used, DRS can be used, XWOBA can't be used. I mean, how many of these hearings have you done? And how hard is it to not want to jump up at some point and just go, 
yeah, I know all that, but StatsCast says this. Uh, I, I would tell you in these hearings, you, there are many moments where you want to stand up and yell something. Uh, sometimes it's uh, even worse than our cuss words. But uh, we, uh, the, the reality is it, it, you, you illuminated part of the kind of evolutionary process in arbitration, and it's really slow. Uh, you know, there's still kind of a gravitational pull towards home runs, RBIs, batting average, uh, innings pitched, wins, DRA, and those sorts of stats that we all still value in the game. But I think we, as you mentioned, we've just learned so many different ways to express the values that those stats had measured in the years past. So I think you can bring up some of these more advanced analytics in hearing rooms. It's not that you're prohibited from doing it. It's just you have to then take some of your allotted time, which is finite, to explain it to the audience, and there may be a chance it doesn't land. So I think uh, people are a little bit reluctant to be too progressive in their presentation just in case that that then unfortunately costs them the ability to really convey the points they're trying to make. So we're still a little bit married to stats that are less frequently discussed in the game on on your broadcast and on the air and those sorts of things. Uh, But I think we're trying to weave them in. And I think uh, arbitration will continue to evolve and will look very different 10 years from now than it does today. It certainly looks very different today than it did 10 years ago. Yes, great stuff. Last one before we let you go. You know, the, the I'm sure paying a shortstop $200 million put a little pressure on you. What's next for the Twins? You know, we I think we, we never rest. You know, there's never a day where you wake up and say, okay, we're all set, we're done. We're constantly evaluating the marketplaces to understand if there's ways to help our team, not only today, but in the future. And I think one thing that was a little bit atypical about the markets this offseason is just how, how the, the large percentage of free agents who had signed by uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, and so I think what teams are doing now, ourselves included, is we're a little bit more engaged in the trade market, which really have been, uh, they were active early and then kind of been dormant since. Uh, you guys are certainly active in, in the trade markets and made some really big, impactful deals for the Toronto Blue Jays. I think we're, we're aspirational of at least being aware of needs to improve our team, probably turning a little bit more of our attention to the trade market to this point and away from the free agent market. That is always, you've been really generous with your time. I can tell you that we get a lot of emails. We get a lot of feedback from your segments. Uh, you know, fans learn a lot, and I think we certainly do as well. So thanks again, and uh, have a terrific 2023, my friend. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you. You guys, you guys should be ecstatic that the team up there is going to be a real dynamic one. Uh, they've done an excellent job. It's going to be a fun team to watch wire to wire, and I'm sure it will be extremely competitive and exceptionally entertaining. Kevin, it was interesting hearing Thad Levine, the uh, senior VP and GM of the Twins, talk about the process of salary arbitration and talk about how teams now, how, how there's this sense that salary arbitration is is viewed a little differently. And we wanted to talk about that and use that as a jumping off point uh, for this part of the show, because, of course, since we were last on, a couple of things have happened. I mean, the Jays have 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 signed Brandon Belt and we've got some listener questions we're going to get to in a few minutes about Brandon Belt and and and, and the lineup but also the Jays managed to get contracts done with their arbitration players including Vladdy Jr with the notable exception being Bo Bichette now there's two and a half million dollars difference between what Bo Bichette has asked and what the Blue Jays have offered and it's a continuation, I think, of what we saw last year, where Bo basically decided he wasn't going to take the Blue Jays' offer. Uh, he forced them to renew 
him. Now, this is his first year of arbitration. There's a difference between renewal and arbitration. Up to your arbitration year, you got no leverage. Basically, the team pays you what it wants to pay you. When you get to arbitration, you submit what you want or what your, your agent submits what he thinks you're worth, what you think you're worth. The team submits what they think you're worth. Sometimes you split the difference. It quite often happens. That's what the, the, the Yankees did with Aaron Judge last year. Uh, on the eve of spring training, I think it was, you, you split the difference. Or if you can't come to an agreement, you go to an arbitration here and you have a panel that listens to arguments from both sides. You've only got a certain amount of time to make your argument. These aren't these are labor lawyers. They may not even be baseball fans. They may not know Bo Bichette from Dante Bichette, frankly. Um, and they listen to the arguments and they rule in favor of this figure or that figure. They don't split the difference. Once you go to a hearing, it's either the team's offer or the club's offer. So I know there's a lot of angst among Blue Jays fans with this. And and I know we've talked about, Kevin, about arbitration and, and, and about how there has always seemed to be a little bit of tension between Bo and the Blue Jays. But a couple of things here. First of all, it's pretty clear that Bo and the Blue, and the Blue Jays don't, they don't, hmm. They don't value Bo as a player. They're not in the same level when it comes to their valuations of Bo. And we should mention, by the way, that Kyle Tucker of the Astros is also two and a half million. There's a, he's going to hearing. There's a two and a half million dollar difference. So this isn't just Bo. So what I'm saying is, what we saw last year shouldn't surprise anybody that this is going to a hearing. But I just can't. I can't get worried about it. For a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm not surprised. Secondly, Bo's got no leverage. You know, worst case scenario, I guess Bo goes to the Blue Jays and demands a trade, but they don't have to trade him. Uh, they got him under control for another couple of years. Uh, second worst case scenario, the reputation is damaged or, or the relationship is damaged so much that they can't get a long-term deal done. Kevin, we've talked about this. I, I I mean, I don't know. I just never thought there'd be a day where they'd be able to sign both of these guys, both him and Vladdy, to long-term deals. I thought at, at, at one point, at, at some point, you'd have to pick one of the two. But the other thing I want to say here, and I'll get to you in a, in, in a moment, but this is, I've covered so many arbitration hearings, or not hearings, but I've dealt with arbitration issues as a writer. The Montreal Expos had them all the time. The Toronto Blue Jays, not so much. But listen, I remember Marquise Grissom coming out of an arbitration hearing where the where the where the Montreal Expos just skewered him, just absolutely skewered him. He came out and said, "You know what? I'm never." They said stolen bases aren't worth anything. I'm not going to ever steal a base again. Blah blah blah. I think he stole 53 bases the next year instead of 78 the year before. Went to the All Star game and the next year, and he was so pissed off at the organization, said he lost a lot of respect for him. The next year, he agreed to a contract without going to a hearing. So clearly. He didn't lose that much respect. Remember Marcus Stroman, how upset he was, Kevin. Marcus Stroman is upset after his hearing. Took to social media. Uh, he was so upset about it, the way the Blue Jays traded him to the Mets, he pitched a fit in the clubhouse because he didn't want to go. Like, you just got to keep this in mind, right? It's, this is business. And I think we need to be careful about sort of taking one thing and turning it into, my God, this thing's going to fall apart. 
Yeah, well, what Thad did say, if you listen there, was about relationships with the player in the front office. They, they have to be really good, right? It, it, you have to have the conversation before you actually go in the room. Uh, because if you're Bo, you've got to be realistic here. you got to be asking yourself, the, def- the, the arguments that the Blue Jays are going to have are on the defensive side of the ball. You can't argue the offensive yeah. side of the ball with Bo Bichette. You just can't. Right, I mean, plays every day. You can't argue that he's no. that he gets hurt either. You can't he argue gets, that he doesn't work hard. We know he works. He sit clean up. He sits second. I mean, he's he's done things for you and your lineup that you can't argue. But you can't argue the defensive side. So that would be where I would think if you're Ross Atkinson, you're the organization. He's one of your better players. I I would think you would want him happy, somewhat happy anyway. And I just don't know if that's going to come about here because. With the defensive side of it and all the analytics that say how bad it's, the eye test would tell you Bo's okay, right? I mean, Bo's hit the, the the balls hit the bow. Normally, the guy's out. But if you dig into it deeper, the first move, the the arm strength, the accuracy, all the things that analytics and the catches will say, that will be sort of where I would think the number is going to be closer to the five than it is to seven with Bo leaving the room, right? So, but again, I just think we, I think for me, Jeff, it's about relationships. How do you keep the relationship good enough? Because you know where the Blue Jays are trying to go, and he is your everyday shortstop. How is that going to at Joe at, at Joe? And Bo is a is a big time like serious kind of dude. So I you know it's again I, I think it's very individual how you attack this, and I think the organization's got to be very careful here about losing one of their better players. Emma in Alberta DM'd us with a question about Bo Bichette, and her question kind of what we dealt with right now is how much we should read into them going to arbitration is it a bad sign considering his long-term future uh with the team and emma thanks very much for the kind words about the show um long-term look Bo was unhappy last year in the off season a pretty good year i think we know Bo enough to know that whatever happens here Bo's going to want to go out and have the and have the best year he possibly can. Because I'll tell you what, you know the one way, the one way you don't end up getting paid what you want to be paid is to suck. <laughs> <laughs> like, really. Uh, if you don't want to get paid the most amount of money you're going to get, then you can go out and suck. I guess I my bigger concern, Kevin, is kind of broader picture here. Um uh, when Charlie Montoyo left, look, I'm not telling tales out of school here. When Charlie Montoyo left, Bo did an interview with Shai Davidi, and it was pretty clear that uh, Bo wasn't exactly upset that Charlie Montoyo had been let go as manager. And and he wasn't the only guy. I talked to Jordan Romano and, and, and George Springer, and basically the sense was, I think, that it was time to make this move. Nobody disliked Charlie, but it was time to make this move. John Schneider comes in. He knows Bo and Vladdy probably better than anybody in the organization. And then John has to have the discussion with him about um, about moving in the batting order. We know it was a hard discussion. Um, but you know, Bo ended up doing it, and by the way, ended up having a real good September. Uh, you can make the case, I think, that he was the Jays' best player in that month. Based on what we've seen of, of Bo so far, how do you think... Like, it's nice for us to sit here and say, oh, it's all business. And do you think he just puts his nose to the grindstone and goes out there anyhow? I think he'll try. I think because he, he's a professional, he wants to get paid long term, whether it's with the Blue Jays or somebody else. He's a good enough player. He's going to make his money. 
but I think he thinks he is a little bit more valued uh, within, you know, who he thinks he is as a player than the Blue Jays do. I mean, let's be honest. If they, if, if that wasn't the case, the Blue Jays would give him what he thought, what he's wanting, yeah. which is just whatever that seven, seven and a half number is. I, I, I think there is, you have to ask yourself if you're Bo Bichette, the upside of, of me as a player defensively, offensively, Jeff, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's second to none, but the bat-to-ball skills, the things he does with two strikes, you know, just the, the balls that he can hit and, and the way he uses the whole field, where he can hit in the order, who he can protect. Like, he can do multiple things. That's why he's going to, for me anyway, make his money. It's just the defensive side of the ball. Can he get better, right? That's the question. And, and is that going to be a hindrance for him, you know, when it comes to his financial situation? Every time he goes to the table and – I just don't know if that's fair for us to continue to have this conversation because, you know, it, it, again, it'll be interesting to see, too, the people that I've talked to about the shift. Eliminating the shift seems to the people that I've talked to around Bo all the time will free Bo up just to let Bo go out there and run around and catch balls and, and throw balls and be Bo Bichette, the Bo Bichette, the defensive Bo Bichette wants to be. So it'd be interesting to see it. But I think to answer your question a little bit long-winded there, yeah, I think so. I, I think he's going to do it a little vinegar. You know, I, I think he's going to, I think he has sort of been doing that, right? It's been Vladdy and then Bo. It's never been Bo and Vladdy. So I think he's used that to his advantage when it comes to just what he does off the field and how he acts and how he, uh, you know, collects himself and, and the player that he is. So be interesting. All right. We're led to believe that a lot of the, most of the heavy lifting has been done for the uh, Blue Jays this offseason. Although I still think they probably have another move to make. That's just me in terms of adding a bat. But Tim in Mississauga, Kevin, uh, has a question. He wants to talk about the batting order. And he brings up something that that I think a lot of people started to think about. So if this is the team that the Jays have right now, absent any other significant moves, he wants to know, Kevin, how do you use Alejandro Kirk here? Because here's his point of view. you got Brandon Belt. Brandon Belt's probably going to be your everyday DH against right-handed pitching. So his order is Springer. Now, this is interesting. He's and, and let's walk through this. But he's got Springer first, Vladdy second, Varsho third, Bo hitting cleanup, Belt hitting fifth, Chapman sixth, Jansen, Witt, and Kiermaier. Um, and, and I look, I, I don't think you move Vladdy into the number two spot. All that aside, his whole point is, how do you get Alejandro Kirk at bats and get Brandon Belt at bats at the at, at at the same time, and and it is as he says. I think having a lefty before both Bo and Chapman can help their bats. Hence, hence, uh, hence, Var can help their at bats. Hence, having Varsho up there. But I mean, how do you view it? Because it is an interesting, it is an interesting point. Yeah, the top three guys for me: Springer, Bo, and, and Blatty. You can, you know, th- those three guys. Nobody's sitting in front of those guys. They're the three first guys. You want to flip Blatty and Bo around? You can do whatever you want to do. Springer's leading off. I'm not putting a another guy in one in front of one of those three guys to take it bad away late in the game because of the way my bullpen is. You got to remember that, right? The bullpen's a big deal, so you want to do that. And then everybody else. John Snyder's told anybody anything. It's performance driven. There is a, how do you get how do you get Kirk in that lineup, Kevin? Well, how do you get him in that lineup? Well, I'm sure that that platoon between Jansen and Kirk are going to be there, and it is again performance driven. If you're performing and you're hitting, you're going to be in the lineup somewhere. Do they actually have a cleanup hitter, Jeff? 
is is, is Brandon failed a cleanup hitter? Like he's coming off a bad season. I know he's injured. Listen, I know you know the, the way he's talking on Twitter and man, he's tooting everything he could toot to say he's he's going to have a bounce back and be the guy that he's always been. Well, we'll have to see that. But do you know the legitimately have a cleanup hitter? I think they do. I think it's Bo Bichette. I yeah, but who? But right Bichette. Right now, Bichette, Bo Bichette. Right now in this lineup, they don't. That you're going you're gonna to take away an at bat from Bo Bichette early top three positions to give it to somebody else. I ain't. You're going to give it to Kirk? No. You're going to give it to Jansen? No. Chapman? No. Varsho? No. Merrifield? The only way this is going to happen if it's one of those three guys are getting hurt. That's how you're going to take some at bats away. So I again, that's why I think for me John Snyder's the best guy for this team is other than a couple of guys, it is performance driven. And if you're hitting, that's how he's going to make up that lineup from four on. And I think it is a wait-and-see kind of thing. Is Would it surprise you if Alejandro Kirk is hitting cleanup and catching opening day? Well, it depends on who your opening day starter is. Yeah, that that That's the thing. So I, I think we shouldn't read too much into this. I do think you have to ask yourself, if you're a Blue Jays fan, when push comes to shove, who do you want in getting five at-bats and who do you want in getting four at-bats? I know the answer. I, listen, I, I really think that there there are going to be scenarios where you're going to see both. You're going to see Varsho behind the plate as well a couple of times. I mean, I'm there, sure. are be, there are going to be situations where you want that uh, where you want him behind the plate. This is what I say. I still, I just don't get the sense that. Be careful how I say this. I don't think the Jays start the regular season with Whit Merrifield, Santiago Espinal, and Kevin Biggio all in the team. I don't. I still think there's another. I think there's another shoe to fall here, uh, and I don't know how that like I, I don't know how that factors into what the batting order will look like. But I just think that there's. It's just it just seems as if there's a piece that's not there right now. Hard hard to explain. Uh, but and as we heard Thad Levine say, you know teams are starting to focus now more on trades. Sure, you know because free agency was with most of the heavy lifting in free agency was done by uh, January first. Jason Bingley, we had a couple of people ask this question. Kevin, are the Jays a better overall team now by improving their defense, Kiermaier and Varsho, at the cost of having an elite offense, losing? Uh, Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. He worries that Varsho will be the 2023 version of Colby Rasmus. Whoa, he just, I, it's like, it just shiver down my spine. I, I mean, ultimately, we'll, ultimately, we'll need to see. Um, I think they are because I think Dalton Varsho is a better offensive player than people think he is. I think he's better than Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Uh, the question is, I think you have to look at it this way. Offensively, does Varsho, Belt, and Kiermaier, and hopefully a healthier George Springer playing right field, offset Teoscar Hernandez? And I think it does. I especially think it does, given the fact that Defense is going to be so important in the new Rogers Center with the with the the configuration of of the outfield fence and also just the pitching. I th- I think you need to save your pitchers need to save your pitchers some pitches here, and I think you'll do that with this outfield. 
I, th- I think they're a better team against right-handed pitchers. I, I, I do think that's, that. Yeah, I, I think they have a more lefties that are if if healthy. Now that's going to be the key here. You know, Kiermaier and, and some guys staying on the field. And I mean, if you can get a hundred games from Kiermaier in center field, man, you're doing something there. That, that that'll be tremendous for the Blue Jays and Blue Jays fans because they'll be a, just a better rounded team and harder to pitch to and make it harder for managers to match up late in games. Uh, that they have more depth in the rotation, absolutely. Now Barrios, instead of being a number three, is a number four guy for me. That's a big deal. All things considered, and Sam Manoa comes back and is the same Manoa, and Gosman continues to do Gosman's things, and maybe you can see some things at the back end of the rotation. You say Kikuchi maybe, you know, just muscling, showing some muscle occasionally, right? Yeah, if I can throw 99, how about I try doing it consistently? Maybe a little bit of that. Right, I think defensively in the outfield, they're a better team. Uh, I think they have a little bit more depth when it comes to just being a better team, but it gets back to what I've been saying, Jeff. When push comes to shove, they're a playoff team right now. Mm. They were a playoff team before they made these moves. But when my muscle against your muscle, when it comes to the sixth inning on against the two behemoths, and that's the Astros and the Yankees, and you can throw the Mariners in here now because the Mariners got some thing when it comes to how hard they can throw, the movement, eliminating some right-handed hitters, those kind of things. So, for me, that's their weakness, right? It's it's they're a playoff team, but when it comes my muscle against yours from a sixth inning on, that's for me where they're struggling. They need some growth. Mark Roffey uh, asked this question, and then Mark again, thanks for the kind words about the pod and about the show, and a reminder that uh, you can follow me on social media, SN Jeff Blair, and Twitter, and we'll let you know uh, when the show is returning to Sportsnet 590, the fan, the exact date. And, uh, and things of that nature. We'll let you know as soon as that, that's been finalized. Um, so just uh, follow along, and I'll make sure that, y- that you all get that. I know that we're, we'll be doing our podcast a couple of more. We'll have a couple of more podcasts before we go back onto the, uh, onto the radio station. Uh, this is from Mark Roffey. Uh, do you personally like adding lots of free agents to the rotation? To me, it has its positives and negatives. Also, what trade or signing do you want to see happen the most for the Jays? Thanks for the question, Mark. And I think you know, I think essentially, I think what Mark is saying here is, you know, the pluses and the minuses. The minuses, when you add a free agent to the rotation, it's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you a term. Kevin, I've always, I would rather spend my free agent money on starting pitchers. Because here's the way I look at it. I like my organization to develop hitters internally. It's great to develop pitchers internally. Don't get me wrong. I'll take a thousand Alec Manoas, or at least three or four Alec Manoas. Not, I'm not saying that. But I think there's something to be said, Kevin, for spending your money on free agent starting pitchers with a bit of a track record and maybe guys who've already had they're Tommy John. You know what I'm saying? Guys who've gone predictability issues at 24, 20. Exactly. Now, when you do that, yeah, you could get screwed at the end of the contract. It's entirely possible that you're left with a deal where, you know, you're paying a guy whatever. Well, you're Hyunjin Ryu, right? You, you, that can happen. But more often than not, I would rather get the guy who has a routine, the guy who knows what it takes to come back from an injury again maybe a guy who's already gone through his Tommy John I think it's really smart to invest your money in free agent pitching compared to developing position players 
That yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm sorry. Along with developing position, yeah, I'm that's the way I see it. I'm with you. I mean, how, how can you how can you not watch the Astros and and think you have to be like them to beat them? Like uh, you have to like what they, they develop pitchers. They're different. I, they develop. I pitchers. understand. I understand that, but the, most teams can't do that. Like that's you know most teams that's are raising the Astros who just can't. You know people you've never heard of before come up and throw a bazillion and can locate and add subtract and get lefties and righties out. Most organizations aren't like that. So you have to go out and add to the pieces that you already have. I love it. They're going for a World Series. Right, mm-hmm. and and the, whether you like it or not, you're looking at the two behemoths in the American League. You got to beat them first to get to the World Series, and that's how you do it. Can my guy match up against that guy, and that guy matching up against that guy, and now all of a sudden, just by adding the Chris Bassett, now Barrios hopefully can turn the corner and be yes. a little bit better, and now he is giving you 200 really good innings instead of having no idea what you're going to get from him every five days. So. Yeah, for me, this is about winning the World Series and figuring out how to beat the Yankees and the Astros, and and I think they're a little bit closer to doing that. But it's now finalizing. And to a- answer the question, and that is the big thing: what do you want hap- to happen next? That is, that is the million dollar question for me. Because you look at the people, you're just not going out and getting dudes, Jeff. Like you need guys that when I hand you got enough dudes that are sixth inning guys. You need some eighth and ninth inning guys, and eighth and ninth inning guys don't grow on trees because guess what? They're already on the other oh, teams. Seems like the seems like the so Baltimore Orioles. Get. Seems like the Orioles last year found them in some trees. I mean, light, lightning in a bottle, right? It's it's every once in a while. Every once in a while, you're you're pushing the right buttons, and you get a couple of dudes that are throwing hard. I mean, I, they're they're looking for the Fernandezes and the Pierces to maybe turn the corner, and because they're hard throwers, and you know you you. Maybe can get some stuff there. I, Chapman, Britton, like these are older guys. It, it, again, I get back to that they're a playoff team. It, it's down the stretch, and when you hand the ball to sep- September and October, that's when you need to solidify some seventh, some eighth, and some ninth inning. And I just don't know if the students are out there yet. That's why it gets back to what we're talking about and Thad's talking about. Maybe not so much right now for the Blue Jays because of how old these guys are, but you may see some Santiago Espinals and some Cabin Biggios and and somebody else in your minor league system that has to get traded for a eighth and ninth inning power guy predictability, mm-hmm. Jeff. That's what I continue to tell you. If anything that you watched against the Seattle at home, those two games, predictability. John really doesn't have any. And Pete Walker, they're pulling their hour out trying to figure out matchups and bat pass. And it's it's hard to always make the right choice is my point. So for me, that's the, that is the million-dollar question. Who do you get? Who's out there? And is would the Chapman and, and the Britons help you right now? I'm not sure that. Yeah, there's a you know there's a lot of names out there. We've heard Alex Reyes. I mean, there, there are there are Zach Britton is still out there. Uh, at least as, as as we do this podcast, Michael Fulmer's out there. I think. I mean, that's yeah. The, that's a long, relief guy. That's there's still there's still some long there's still some some long relief arms out there. And um, you know, as Thad Levine said, I think there's there may be some joy to be found as well uh, in the in the trade market. But look, I, I'm with you. Uh, I think you need to bring in. I think you need to bring in as many power arms as you possibly can. There are some guys in the organization I find intriguing. I want to see. I want to see where they are, and but beyond that, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't have a. I wouldn't have a problem bringing in, bringing in somebody that I could, you know, you know that that I could at least addition 
for that for that spot in the eighth and ninth inning. And as far as you know, signing a player goes, listen, I, I I've already said this. I've gone on the record of saying this. I'll continue to go on the record of saying it. Uh, I don't know if they're ever going to get Vladdy or Bo signed to you know the six year seven year contract. I think they'll probably get one of them signed to it. But I, I would also, Kevin, you probably don't agree with me on this. I'd also like to see them sit down at some point with Matt Chapman and say, let's let's try to let's try to buy it. Let let let's try to add an, an extra two years onto your deal because I want that dude around at third base. I want him around as my guy at third base going forward. Yeah, you could never have too much defense again, and I think this gets back to you know what what happens in your organization where you're going. When it comes to the playoffs, like these are these are fun times for fans of the Blue Jays because it is it is win mode now, right? It's you're trying yeah. to get you're trying to add the final piece, and I'm just again, I you can't have everything at once, right? The, the Astros are winning the World Series and they're in it and they're the best team in the American League a lot of the times because they they've lost a lot and and it's just their time right now to mm-hmm. piece everything together. They can lose a Verlander and still be the best team in the American League. Well, most teams are not like that. So that's why again I get back to you know just going out and making a move just to be making moves right now just for me doesn't make any sense because the Blue Jays are, are a playoff team, Jeff. And that, that's the point here and down the road, you know, All-Star break, a halfway point, that's for me is when you start solidifying and if you have to give away a piece to get a piece that matters the most to, to get you where you want to go, and that's what you have to do. I want to thank uh, Thad Levine, Senior Vice President and General Manager of the Minnesota Twins for joining us uh, today. Uh, lots of insight on Carlos Correa and some interesting an interesting background, I think, for a lot of us on, on arbitration hearings as well, because it's, as we said, that's kind of the, we're, we're in the middle of arbitration season right now, or I guess we're, we're kind of, I don't know if we're at the beginning of it, the middle of it, well, we're not at the end yet because we haven't had hearings, but uh, I want to thank uh, Sad for uh, joining us. Again, as always, please uh, rate and review the podcast subscribe obviously wherever you get your favorite podcasts and i'll remind you once again that we will be back uh on sportsnet 590 the fan at a date to be determined but until then uh we will be putting out at least one podcast release for blair and Barbara. as always dms are open feel free to weigh in questions comments criticism especially criticism of Barbara. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for doing this, man. We'll talk next week. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, have a great week. We'll see you down the road.